Our second reading today continues the Gospel of John, chapter 9, with verses 24 through 41. So for a second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Did you also want to be his disciple? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one who is speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Friends, today is the Sunday before Lent, and that is traditionally celebrated as Transfiguration Sunday. Traditionally, we tell the story of Jesus going up on the mountaintop with James, John, and Peter, and Moses and Elijah appearing, and they all glow in white, and Peter wants to build huts, and then they disappear and go back down. That's the Cliff Notes version, of course. But the narrative lectionary skips over Transfiguration Sunday this year, and honestly, I'm glad. Transfiguration Sunday is interesting, but there's only only so many ways you can preach that text. To me, there's only a couple things risen in it. And instead, the narrative lectionary this year, which is going through the Gospel of John, gives us this rich, powerful text. Jesus and the disciples are traveling along, and they come across a blind man. And the disciples said, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it his sin, or is it his parents' sin? And Jesus says, that's neither. This man is blind 
but watch as God works God's glory in him. And then Jesus calls the man over, spits in the ground, mix, mix, uh, mixes it up and creates mud and smears it on his eyes. And he says, go and wash in the pool, Siloam. And the man does and he can see. And then the Pharisees hear about this. And the neighbors hear about this. And the neighbors argue, isn't this man who was blind just yesterday? And some say, yeah, that, that's him. And others say, no, it's just someone who looks just like him. And the Pharisees call him and they say, you are blind. How can you see? And he said, well, Jesus healed me. And they didn't like that answer because they don't like the idea of Jesus having any power. And besides, it was the Sabbath and you can't do healings on the Sabbath. And they ask for details and he said, well, he made the mud and he put it on my eyes and I washed and, and now I can see. And the Pharisees said, no, no, that's not right. We're going to ask your parents. So they call his parents and say, was your son really born blind? And they said, yeah, but, but now he sees. And they didn't like that answer either. So they debated and then they sent for the man again. And finally, they got so fed up with him giving the same answer with telling the truth that they kicked him out of the synagogue. There are so many issues in this rich text. There's the text, the, the issue of what are we blind to in our society? What is it that blinds us? Could this text be about overlooking poverty, overlooking pain, overlooking hurt? We could lean on the neighbors who didn't even recognize the man who was a blind beggar. Is this the guy who is blind? Well, we don't know. We really never paid him that much attention. We just kind of stepped over him as he begged for money, walked past him, and developed a blindness towards him. Or is this text about what it is that blinds us? Are we blinded by our own assumptions? Are we blinded by past injuries, past mistakes? Are we blinded by ideologies that we can't let go of? Is this text about how God works? It's a very powerful verse when they say, who caused this, his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus said, neither. This man was born blind so God can work God's glory in him. Does that mean that God punishes us so God's glory can be made true? That's a hard, heavy sermon. But what really spoke to me today about this text is the man's journey. Every once in a while, when I'm online or flipping through channels, I'll see a TV show or article that's, where are they now? Where is the cast of The Mighty Ducks now? Where is the, the cast of, I was going to say Full House, but they're back on Full House. Um, same with Will and Grace and Roseanne and so many other shows. Where is the, the cast of Family Ties now? And they'll trace what happened to the actors. I wish there was a biblical version of this. I wish we could have, where are they now, the Bible? And where is the man who is cured of his blindness? Where is the woman at the Samaritan well? Where is Nicodemus? Where are these people that we talk about? What happens after they encounter Jesus? Because this man goes on a spiritual journey. When he's first called by the Pharisees, he calls Jesus a prophet. 
He says, Jesus healed him. They call him a second time and he says that Jesus is from God. He steps up from a prophet to being from God and doing the works of God. And then ever after he's cast out, Jesus comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the, the man who was blind, who was blind, says, tell me about him. And Jesus says, I am he. And he says, I believe, Lord. So we see this man on a spiritual journey. We see him going from blind to having vision. We see him from going from thinking that Jesus did God's work to Jesus was a prophet to Jesus was sent by God to Jesus is Lord. In these 41 verses, we see this man take a spiritual journey to where he confesses Jesus as Lord. And I think this is powerful because it reminds us that life is a spiritual journey. When Heather and I were, I can't remember if we were first engaged or first married, there was a couple who I worked with and they kept inviting us to their church. And I kept saying, well, we, we have a church. We're very happy there. And they're very dismissive, which should have been my first clue. Oh, but you should come try our church. Our church is better. And finally, I was like, well, we worship at our church Sunday morning, but we'll go to your Wednesday night program. Let's have dinner first. And we met, and this was the first time they met Heather. And the very first question they asked her, when were you served, saved? That was their icebreaker. When were you saved? Tell us when you were saved. Not, nice to meet you. Enjoy working with your husband. You know, that's a pretty blouse. But when were you saved? And I wish they'd asked me that because my go-to answer is 33 AD. How about yourself? (laughs) But they thought that being saved was one moment in time. That when you accept Christ, boom, you're saved. Everything is better. But faith doesn't work that way. Faith is a lifelong journey. We were saved when Christ died on the cross for us. But following him means something completely different. It's something we start at some point at time. And it's something we continue throughout our lives. We come to realize he's something special. We progress to saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. But we never stop growing. We never stop developing spiritually. It's a lifelong journey. I've been going to the gym a lot lately. I've been trying to go three to five times a week. I do different weights on different days. I I hit the elliptical. I track my heart rate. I do all sorts of fun stuff. Now, in about a month, I think I'm going to look like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. (laughs) Probably not. I mean, I've got the haircut, but besides that, I'm, I'm out of luck. I'm never going to look like The Rock or like Arnold Schwarzenegger or like uh, any of the, the people we think of, Idris Elba. But that doesn't mean I don't try. I don't work at it. I don't try to constantly improve myself. And that's how our spiritual life should be. There's a theological term known as sanctification, which is to be made holy. 
And it's the idea that God is constantly working on us, making us more holy, drawing us closer to God. Now, the downside of that is we're never going to get there in this life. We're never going to be 100% with God, 100% holy, until we are reunited with Christ in the church triumphant. So does that mean we don't try? We should constantly strive to better ourselves, to grow, to follow Christ more sincerely and more faithfully. Having faith at the end of the day, we will be reunited with Christ in the church triumphant. We will be sanctified. We will be made holy. I'm never going to look like the rock. In this life, we're never going to be exactly like Jesus. But it gives us something to strive for. It gives us a goal to aim for, even if we fall short. And because it is, we, it is a journey, we are going to fall short. Yesterday was rainy and we didn't want to be cooped up in the house. So we went to the mall in Columbia to walk around for several hours. And I was really good. I had my, my nutritious breakfast, my, my Greek yogurt, and my fried egg. And I, you know, had my protein shake at lunch. And, and then we got to the mall and Hannah was really well behaved. So we promised her we'd go in the candy store. And they had sea salt, dark chocolate covered caramels, which are my weakness. And and I only got three of them, so I was good. But that's three more than I should have had. And then Hannah continued to be really well behaved. And Heather said, Hannah, you are being so good. Let's get ice cream. And I thought, I love ice cream. Complete side non-theological point. If you're at the mall in Columbia or Columbia, Columbia, yeah. Um, they've got this place called Sub-Zero where they use liquid nitrogen to make the ice cream. It's fantastic. And if that doesn't tell you, I gave in and I was weak. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that I don't get back at it today. I don't start eating healthy today. I don't continue on that journey. We are all going to hit hiccups. We're all going to hit bumps in the road. I told you the downside of sanctification, that we're never going to get there. But here's the upside, is it's not just up to us. In the idea of sanctification, it is God working in us and through us. There are times we're going to stumble. There are times we're going to fall flat on our face. There are times when we're going to get those those chocolate-covered caramels with sea salt or, or get that ice cream mixed with cookie dough and cake batter. And it was really good. Uh, and sprinkles. <laughs> But the next day we get back to it and we continue on that path. We keep following Christ. We keep growing our faith. There's an ancient Jewish book. And I'm going to kill this title, but Perkei Evolt, which means the faith of our fathers. And they wrote in it, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Friends, God is working in us, and we're never going to be just like Christ. But as followers of Christ, we should strive to be. And we strive knowing that that work won't be completed until the day of the church triumphant. But until that day, we do our very best. I want to end with a quote from John Newton. If you're not familiar with John Newton, he was a priest who wrote Amazing Grace. 
And his story truly is an amazing one. He was a, a, a ship captain who traveled the slave trade or slave routes and, and traded in slaves. And finally, the guilt and the screams and everything he was going through weighed so much on him that he gave up the slave trade and entered into the ministry, trying to repent of the horrors that he'd helped to implement. And it weighed on him heavily. And that's why he wrote Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Or how do you save someone so wretched as me? And he wrote, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friends, the blind man recovered his sight. And as his vision became more clear, he went from seeing God as, or Christ as someone who did good works to a prophet, to someone sent by God, to Lord. He underwent a spiritual journey. And we do the same. As Christians, our life is a spiritual journey. And we might not be what we want to be. We might not be what we hope to be. We not, might not be what we pray to be yet. But we aren't what we used to be. And that's because God is working in us and through us to making us more holy until the day of the church triumphant. Amen.